Welcome to Simple and Deep, a podcast about the power of engaging our story to love fully. I'm your host, Wisteria Edwards, and I'm happy you're here. Let's get started. I want to begin our time together by telling you a few stories from my life. Stories have tremendous power to change, restore, and connect us. Brene Brown says, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. This podcast was birthed out of my own healing journey as I've discovered the joy and beauty found in integrating every part of our stories. It is the story of finding myself at a crossroads. Perhaps you've been at one too. It's a moment where you have to decide from this moment on, no matter what, I won't quit. I will not back down from the hard things and I will keep fighting. I will keep walking. In my case, sometimes it was crawling. Great stories are often about ordinary people becoming the hero of their own stories. But every hero needs helpers along the way. Those who come alongside us to encourage us and teach us and remind us that we do have value and significance. My hope and prayer for you as you listen today is simple and deep. Love is about those who loved us so that we could love ourselves in return. I'll begin with a story many of you have heard from my upcoming book, Waiting for Mr. Rogers. Frankly, I think that after we die, we have this wide understanding of what's real. And we'll probably say, ah, so that's what it was all about. Fred Rogers. Smiley George was the first black man I ever saw. Growing up in a predominantly white, blue-collar town, he stood out with his bright white teeth and glasses. He embodied the motto, attitudes are caught, not taught, one of Fred Rogers' favorite sayings. George Matthews was a staple of my childhood. Living close to my grandparents, he would accompany my grandmother on her frequent bus rides to her job downtown. Their simple friendship spanned decades based on kindness and understanding. Six months after moving to Spokane in 1980, his beloved wife died and then his mother, leaving him reeling. It was in this aftermath that George met my grandmother. He was vulnerable and shared that his biggest challenge was that he could not cook. My grandmother offered him ideas and recipes and thus a lasting friendship was born. He supervised the mailroom at the local newspaper, The Spokesman Review, and never met a stranger while doing it. Taking the time to really see, to see people, that was George's gift to the world. His generous gift to my grandmother was to be the lookout for me if she was not on the same bus. I grew up next to two main arterials, busy and visible. If I were outside the house on my Hot Wheels, he would wave to me and report to my grandmother that I was doing just fine. Standing only 4'10", my grandmother could not even see over the steering wheel of a car, so she had opted to never get her driver's license. Perhaps that's why she had eight children, to ensure that she would always have a ride. My grandmother was, like George, a staple of the bus system and the downtown crowd, as she spent many years as a custodial worker in the large department store, The Crescent. Today, I will grab discarded towels off the floor in the public restroom and wipe down the counter lightly before leaving. I pride myself on leaving it cleaner than I found it, remembering my sweet grandmother continually cleaning up other people's messes. When I was finally allowed to venture downtown with my friends in middle school, I would often bump into Smiley George, 
would embrace me with a big hug and send me on my way calling out to me, Listeria, you stay out of trouble now. I always found George Matthews to be beautiful. He, along with my grandmother, inspired me to remember people. Not just their names, but what really mattered to them. Children, jobs, hobbies, and little bits and pieces. Seeing George walking past my grandmother's house, I would run out to meet him, and his embrace and laughter swallowed me every time. I saw him as an extension of the safety that I felt in my grandmother's love and care. It's no wonder why they got along so well. He saw the world the same way she did, full of beauty and good things, people to love. While going through my grandmother's cards and papers after she passed, I found George Matthews' obituary. I gasped in delight, finally able to read all the things that were lost on me as a little girl. Before moving to Spokane, he and his wife made their home in Cleveland, Ohio, where he ran a shelter for indigent and homeless men, as well as helped run a home for neglected and abused children. Of course he did. It made complete sense. He really cared about you, claimed a fellow employee at the paper. He had a memory and used it to make people feel good. He never forgot to ask about people's lives. He adored people and they loved him right back. He'd never say trite things like, have a nice day. He'd compliment you, talk to you about your life. He was so optimistic about everything, and it was contagious. George Matthews was an ambassador of friendship for all of downtown Spokane. My dad really loved his job, and he loved the people he met and worked with, said his son, Reginald Matthews. He really loved Spokane. He'd say that it was his piece of heaven before he gets there. During a radio interview for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation with colleague and musician Johnny Costa in 1993, Fred Rogers spoke about influence. Isn't that what life is really all about? That we all step into the stream at one point and we all step out at another? And hopefully, during that time, people along the way have a little bit of us incorporated into who they are. Who is the person who loved you into being? In 1997, while receiving an award, Fred Rogers asked this question of the large audience, and I paraphrase. So many people have helped along the way. Some of them are near, some of them are far, and some of them are even in heaven. All of us have special people who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of all the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. Ten seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. Every child deserves to have someone that is absolutely crazy about them. And my guess is that whomever came to your mind during those ten seconds... They listen to you. They attune to you. Because love begins with listening. We need to look and listen to every part of ourselves and to others. To love another, we must learn to fully love ourselves, to access those innocent parts inside us that still believe that we are worthy of love, safety, and attention. Who made you feel like somebody? They're a part of your story. If we looked at our lives as a colorful tapestry woven together by the strings of all the people in our lives that we've met and interacted with and loved, 
We're talking about the people that would be strings that are stronger, maybe a little faded. The base for all the other colors to pop and weave in and out of, but creating this beautiful blend. They're the strings that have been there the longest, but they're reliable, never breaking or fraying, predictable and unchanging. You might not even remember a time that they were not there. Like the blankets we snuggled as children or the sweatshirt that we've owned since college that's just so comfy that we can't throw away. They are the people who give us comfort when we think about them. Our nervous system swallowed them through our senses as children and the smell, the sight, the touch. For me, it's my grandmother. The smell of her Jessica McClintock perfume, the softness of her skin, the sound of her voice saying hello when she answered the telephone. And her laugh was so childlike, full of innocence, the cadence as she walked tipping back and forth, or the way that she tried to kiss me spot on, because at one point in my childhood, I told her that she kissed me crooked. Whenever I was sick or had the flu in elementary school, she would walk to meet me at the corner across the street from my school, usually with her permed hair and wearing a sweatshirt that adorned a little tiny collar and bouquets of flowers and kittens purse was always full of juicy fruit gum, and she never missed one talent show, choir concert, play, or recital, and she collected every single of those tiny programs and put them into a scrapbook just for me, because my achievements were her achievements, because I was hers and she was mine. Understanding me was her job. At Christmas, she made all of these presents for everyone with red tissue paper with little stickers on them, all the tiny little details. She sewed choir dresses and costumes and outfitted all the children at my wedding. Her sewing room was full of her, all of her knickknacks and things that she loved and full of dried rose petals. And on summer evenings, I would find her weeding in her garden, chit-chatting with her neighbor, Natalie, over a tiny fence. Rose petals ended up in sachets for drawers, always tied with colorful ribbon and miniature silk roses. She and I had matching pink Holly Hobby clock necklaces, and I wore the same gold heart necklace that she had worn as a baby, and we both chewed on it. As only children, we just understood each other, and she would come find me in parties because there were seas of adults, and we'd sit together and whisper and laugh about silly little things. I even remember the night before my wedding, complete chaos we had this horrible wedding planner that was gifted to us from the church. And as she was bossing people around, it began to pour rain outside. I finally sat down, defeated, listening to a friend practice singing. And there was my grandmother scooting in beside me, taking my hand. And she said, oh, I had Ave Maria sung at my wedding. And you know, don't worry about this rain outside. It's an Irish blessing. I turned to her and burst into tears. And all she could say was, oh, oops. She also fancied herself a reflexologist. And I spent many hours on my back with her rubbing my feet. And she would go and access her large chart that she kept in the hallway closet. When she'd open that door, it would squeak and smell like cleaning agents. Where my grandfather was disorganized, loud and obnoxious, she was tidy, pastel, and very calm. She collected teacups that decorated the spaces between the blaring episode of Perry Mason that my grandfather was sleeping through in the living room and the dining room table that was stacked with his ridiculous piles of untouched papers. 
She brought peace with her everywhere she went, especially when she was sitting beside my grandfather in his beat-up station wagon, complete with a megaphone. Yes, you heard me, friends, a megaphone and a loud beeping sound for when he backed up. But that megaphone, he would call out to people like me, I love you, Wistie, and also scold those he felt were breaking the law. I can guarantee that she ran interference many times when he was about to cross the line. He used bricks to make sure that people didn't park too far from the curb and spray-painted lines down the middle of the street, only in front of his house, I might add. Oh, and he also roped off the grass so the mailman couldn't cross the lawn and had a separate address so that he could write letters to people that made him angry anonymously. But she was comfortable in his chaos and considered it charming. There was a strength in her love and a comfort in her gaze. When I received word that she had cancer in her throat, I dialed her number quickly. Hers was the first phone number that I memorized after my own as a child. Her voice, hello, nearly broke me. But I took a deep breath and I said, why do you have cancer in your throat? I know, isn't that so annoying? Was the response that she gave me. But don't worry, I'll always be with you. You can't die, ever. It was the most mature response I could muster. I'll always be in your heart, Wistie. I don't want you in my heart. I want you here. She started to laugh. Last conversation that we had was a month before her death. I had crawled into bed with her, right beside her frail body. I was fighting the reality that I was being abandoned emotionally and feeling left behind without a compass. She placed her hand on my head, her arthritic fingers gnarled by life. She still adorned the wedding ring that was paper thin. Slowly, she touched my hair and whispered to me, Oh, Wistie, my precious granddaughter, what an amazing life we have lived. What an adventure. I will always love you and watch over you. There was no words, just weeping. God will always provide the way. I promise you this. And don't forget that you need to sing Ave Maria when I die. I spoff. She was so relentless. I'd been diagnosed with vocal nodules, a singer's nightmare, four months earlier and was seeing a speech therapist two times a week, but I just didn't know if I would be able to fulfill her request. It was as if my speaking voice was holding my singing voice captive. And every time I spoke, I sounded like a 60-year-old chain smoker. I just growled. Grandma, that's an aria. You might be lucky to get row, row, row your boat at this point. Her calmness made the depth of the pain cut deeper, and I sobbed my heart out, gulping for breaths. She just held me. But it's what I want. God will let you sing for me. I laughed at her stubbornness. A month later, I received the call to come home because she was dying. As I entered the hospital room, my family was packed in with little standing room. The nurses had taken pity on them and laid down mattresses in the adjacent room so that my mother and her siblings could take shifts watching my grandmother. They parted like the Red Sea, allowing me to make my way to her bed. And it was, it was never a spoken thing, but they knew of the bond that we had. Oh, thank God, one of my uncles said out loud when they saw me. Were they waiting for me? Her tiny body barely made a dent in that large hospital bed. 
and she had brought one of my quilted pillows with her and the hot pink cardigan that we had purchased for her with the crystal-like buttons. She could never get enough pink. I pulled a chair up beside her, took her hands in mine, and even though her eyes were closed, I trusted that she could hear me. Children do the funniest things to soothe themselves. Some suck their fingers or thumbs. My cousin Kylie would suck her thumb and pick at the calluses on someone's hands. My son Jonathan would grab at my husband's ear when he was tired. I've always twirled people's hair. And my own. It happens without much thought for me at stoplights, while reading a book, or even when I've had too much on my mind at night. At that moment, I needed comfort and soothing, yet she was unable to give it to me. So I reached up and began to twirl her hair as I cried, feeling the silk between my fingers, glossy gray, fine hair, and a heaviness cemented in my chest. How would I breathe or even exist without her? Did I really believe that she would never die? Sing to her, Wistie, someone said behind me. I looked up and saw the faces of my family, equally devastated and desperate. And then... I realized why she had wanted me to sing all along. It was not for her. It was for all of them. To comfort them. As she left us without her, she knew that it would bring the greatest comfort in the deepest of losses. And so, I opened my mouth and in faith, I started to sing. The energy of my family upon my back, the sounds of their sobs around me, I leaned in to bless the woman who had always made me feel like the most important person in the room, the one who believed in me, championed me, and never said an unkind word in my presence. When people were hurting or mean, she would always say, they just need more love. I sang as her head slowly moved to the side and the sunlight began to spill into her room and onto her face. I sang as she opened her glassed eyes towards the sun and let out the largest sigh knowing that I was giving her the last gift that I could. She knew that I would be able to sing again, even when I doubted myself. Bathed in that sunlight, she closed her eyes. I chose to leave after that and return home. Because she had said goodbye to me when she closed her eyes for the last time. And she was right. What an adventure we had lived, she and I. Fred Rogers said, If you could only sense how important you are to the lives of the people that you meet, how important you can be to the people you've never even dreamed of, there is something of yourself that you leave behind at every meeting with another person. Today, I choose to be the things that I loved most about her because she is gone, but her love surrounds me and her prayers are still protecting me. Who loved you into being? I would love to hear your stories of who loved you. Please feel free to send them to me at wistyedwards at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Simple and Deep. Make sure that you visit my website, wisteriaedwards.com, where you can subscribe to receive updates about my upcoming book, Waiting for Mr. Rogers. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, I'd appreciate you giving it a rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening to it, or simply tell a friend about the show too. That would be a great help. Till next time, take care.